1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Liber Cristo War College. This is a Jess Romero, Dan Schneider, Wednesday War College. A lot to talk about today. Dan, you've always talked to me. By the way, I'm here in New Mexico. I'm here in Hobbs, New Mexico. Uh, let me just mention what happened last night so people could see the uh, superiority of the liberal crystal model. Let me let me give you a little uh, a synopsis of what happened last night at St. Helena's Church in Hobbs, New Mexico. St. Joseph. Uh, Joseph. Oh, St. Joseph. I thought it was St. Helena's Church. No, I'm taking part of my devotion. Oh, well, I'm in, yeah, but I'm in St. Helena's Church in Hobbs, New Mexico. So after, uh, I, I talked on living in a state of grace, really talking a lot about what I've written about in my book, also the Liver Crystal Protocol. And I led the people in evening prayers, in consecration prayers, to surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, I hear you, a young mother, she screamed at the top of her lungs. I looked to the left, and I ran over there because I recognized that scream. And the whole church fell on their knees. The church was pretty packed. People began, they just kind of knew to pray. People were afraid. You could see they had that, they had that, uh, the, the buckwheat eyes, you know, their eyes were big. They, <laughs> they were afraid. It was that, it was that shrill scream of a woman in distress. So I ran over there. Her, uh, her husband I presume it was her husband. He was looking at his wife jump off the bench like if she, like if they were using this uh, defibrillator paddles in an emergency room to start her heart. She was screaming in, in this unintelligible language and growling at, at the same time. And you could tell she was in deep distress. You could tell she was being attacked by something. So I asked the group of people that were there. There's a bunch of people around her. I said, who's her husband and who's her father? The young man said, I am. I'm her husband. Now, he was visibly shaking. He was afraid. He was crying. I said, I told the rest of the church, I said, get down and pray. Everybody got down on their knees. I looked at the husband. I said, put your hand on her head and repeat after me. He goes, I'm afraid. I said, don't be afraid. Put your hand on her head. Don't be afraid. Repeat. So I led him through about five minutes of an imprecatory prayer nonstop. I had him say, by the authority given to me by the natural law, by God the Father, by the authority given to me by divine positive law, I as your husband, I am. I, I ask you, Lord, to drive this demon out of my wife. I had him pray this over and over again, spontaneous and precatory prayers. I would I would say it. He would repeat in a loud voice. I said, "Don't take your hands off of her." I said, "And don't be afraid." The demon raged and raged, and 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 there was a battle. You could see. But you could see also the authority of the husband's prayers. He held on like he was riding a, in a rodeo, hanging on to a horse that was trying to buck him off. I said, keep your hands on her and keep repeating what I'm telling you and don't be afraid. And look at your wife. I said, look at her with the eyes of love. Then in about five minutes, the demonic manifestation shut down completely. Took about five minutes. Now, she came back to her senses completely. She was crying these tears of joy. 
And I told her husband, hug her. I said, let her feel your love. Hug her. The pastor came over. Uh, I guess he had heard of what had happened. He was coming from a hospital visit. He came over with the Blessed Sacrament in the monstrance and stood over the couple and prayed prayers of blessing over her for about another five minutes as I led the entire church of the Divine Mercy on our knees as Father's blessing her with the Blessed Sacrament. The entire church, Paul, I mean, uh, uh, Dan was moved beyond anything I've ever seen. And, I, and, of, and of course, God allowed this for any naysayers, for any people that may have been, uh, uh, you know, doubters or skeptics. God allowed this for the salvation of every single person that attended the, the mission last night and also for their sanctification, for their holiness. And I'll tell you what, I'm getting phone calls to this very moment right now. People will never be the same again. Yeah no. yeah, no, no, I mean, uh, what you described is what's called a manifestation. A manifestare is a Latin word to 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 reveal, to, to be shown. And the demon doesn't want to reveal himself ever. His job, unless he's trying to bulldog uh, and bully, he, for the most part, he lays low. Certainly doesn't want to reveal, be revealed in public in front of a priest, in front of a whole congregation. Uh, so the demon doesn't want to be outed any more than, a, than, than you know, an, an Iraqi a tank wanted to be outed in front of a, a Cobra or, or a Apache helicopter. They don't want to be seen. They want to lay as low as they can. So what you're describing is a diabolical manifestation. We see this in, in this, what, you, what you experienced and what you did was was spot on. Uh, we see this all the time dealing with cases. Um, the priest, uh, the exorcist oftentimes doesn't see it. He'll have his nose in a book doing the, the exorcism right, and the lay associates are there to watch over him, protect him, uh, keep the keep the place safe, etc., and pray. But 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 I've seen this firsthand. The laying of the hands of the husband has the same physical physical manifestation and 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 pain upon the deacon as when, I mean upon the demon as when the priest lays his hands or lays his priestly stole. The demon responds to the imposition. Of order, what you describe, I, I see this all the time. I tell the husband, start laying your hands on her, start binding the demon. I've had, you know, and, and during intake sessions, this would happen. I would say, look, she would manifest, and there's no priest there. You're the husband. Are you in a state of grace? Yeah. Put your hands on her. Make this demon stop. Shut him down. You have that authority. And so, remember the three rules of engagement. Number one, the demon's going to yield or not yield based on three three rules of engagement. Number one is, is, does this person have the requisite authority of the person, the place, or the object, which is what you tapped into. Number two is, what is the state of merit? What is the state of grace? If the demon doesn't respond to the husband, there's some disorder there. There's some, there's some either he's not in a state of grace or habitual sin that he's holding on to. And then number three, what is he asking? So this guy's in a state of grace. His wife makes a conversion movement. You lead her to the sinner's prayer. You're professing the truths of the church. You're proclaiming the gospel. Because remember, only the truth liberates. Saint, uh, Saint Jesus himself says, the truth right. will set you free. You're proclaiming the truth. You lead someone to a prayer. They, from their heart, give their life to Jesus. The demon pops. And that's exactly what happened. So what you did was correct. You, you lead the husband into his right authority. And then the priest, you know, if need be, could step in as well, uh, uh, but the husband needed to see that the demon will yield to his authority, and the wife needed to experience this, she herself yield to his authority to drive the demon out. And then the congregation, again, if there's a manifestation, it's always for a salvific purpose, always. God 
always forces a demon out for some greater purpose. We don't know what it is, but now you've got two, 300 people that now believe in the reality of the devil, and they now yeah. begin to see the reality of a husband's authority, which Father Ripperker and I and Kyle for, for years now have been trying to teach the laity the power of this of the authority structure, <laughs> where, how significant it is in spiritual combat. All this happened because this poor woman was allowed to suffer in this way. Then it was classic. It was uh, the classic liberal crystal teaching on the uh, on on the issue on the lines of authority and the power over the diabolical, especially as it, as it relates to the husband and the father. Uh, it's uh, it was classic last night. It was exactly what you guys have written in the manuals. Exactly what you guys have been teaching me the last couple of years. Yeah. And uh, again, I just I just put it to practice, and it was extremely effective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the language you tapped into as well, it isn't just the name of Jesus. You're reminding the demon with that, that secondary language in the name of Jesus Christ and by the authority given to me by the promulgation of the natural law by God the Father Almighty as having authority over this flesh. I command you to leave. That's the full language. That's very powerful. You're speaking legalistic language to the demon. Because remember, Father Ripperger's definition of a demon is a lawyer from hell. So you're speaking specific, targeted language. This is not the, the AK-47 over the corner blasting and, and not hitting any target. You are, This is a sniper shot. This is a sniper kill shot speaking specific legal language to the demon by the promulgation of God, the, by God the Father of the natural law as having authority over the flesh. The husband has rights over the flesh of the wife, right? And the wife has a wife or the flesh of the husband. In this case, the husband has spiritual authority over the wife. He's reminding the demon of natural law. The demon himself is bound by his own natural law, and he's bound by the natural law that God's established humanity. And so he's bound by that. And as long as the husband is clean, right, and that prayer is pure, and they're in a state of grace, you're going to see positive movement. So it sounds to me like you had, you had a, a, an amazing experience of liberation right there. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I put them on a on a very tight protocol uh, there and after as, as to what they have to do for the rest of their life. I told her, I want, I said, I need you to go for the next four weeks to go to confession every single week. Your first confession I want you to make tomorrow. I want you to do a general confession. Every sin that you've con uh, committed since the age of seven, tell the priest, make an appointment. It's going to be long. And then I want you to go to confession for the next four weeks, every seven days. I said, just to really uh, tighten up your interior. And I put them on the daily rosary, the daily divine mercy, the daily angelus. And they're all in. They're checking off the boxes. They're saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I mean, they, they were like highly motivated to, to be followers of the, the Lord Jesus Christ after last night. Yeah, no, and what you're doing is is what we do at Libra Cristo. And if you in, in the the general, really, if you really want to know what the the new manual, the book that I've written that's coming out in the spring or in the summer, hopefully in June with Tan, it's basically a long, deep dive general confession. It, you're trying to teach people how to pray, how to identify those areas they've let the diabolic enter into their lives, those areas of of defect and virtue, those areas where the authority structure is upside down and not in right order in their lives. Uh, and also learning how to pray, first vocal prayer and then mental prayer, and then a deep dive according to the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas. How do you make a good, deep, general confession? What, what yeah. does, where is the demon hiding? And so what you're, you know, what you're doing is basically put them on our protocol, and they, they ought to go see their pastor as well, and we'd be glad to, to get That's exactly what I did. Yeah. I said, you got to go see your pastor tomorrow. We'll All be right. right back. War College, Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. 
Dan, I, I've seen uh, other instances. We're talking about diabolical manifestation. When a demon manifests through a person, he's showing himself forth. That's what manifest means. I've seen, Dan, in uh, other instances where a person is, God allows a person to diabolically manifest or to love a demon. Of course, a demon doesn't want that, but God, uh, God uh, allows us to happen. And I've seen where non-family members, you'll have, you know, 5, 10, 15 people, 20 people even, uh, laying their hands on a non-family member. And this person is doing the funky chicken, flopping around for about an hour, uh, spitting, cussing, eyes going back. And there's no effect. There's no movement. Uh, but last night, it was one person, the husband, not 20 people laying hands, not 50. One person laying hands on her head. One person doing imprecatory prayers, ordering, ordering in the first person. And they shut down this demonic manifestation in about five minutes when I've seen 20 people that are non-family members laying on of hands on the person's head or body cannot do in an hour, two hours. There is no movement. There is no liberation, no deliverance. Why, why is that, Dan? Yeah, again, the, the, the demon's a lawyer from hell. He's going to respond to the authority structure. He's going to check the room. He knows he knows who's in charge. He knows whom, to whom he must yield because that's this is the natural law that he's been create, created under. So the demon knows he must yield to this. I've seen this. We were doing uh, pre-Masonic renunciations once, and somebody was, uh, the wife started having a, a manifestation at the exact same moment every week. This is part of our Libra Christo phase two is the lay associates put these put them through the uh, Freemasonic renunciations. She would have a manifestation every week. Same thing on the final week, she starts turning blue. She starts choking out. It was like somebody put her in a rear naked choke, an invisible one, and she starts going blue and she starts going dark. And so I tell the husband, uh, and say this prayer. I know you're in a state of grace. I saw your confession this weekend. You know, lay your raise your hand and pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind the demon, etc. Didn't work. So, so I thought. And at the same time, I was studying all this stuff with Father Ripper. I was trying to figure out this 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 a natural law structure and its significance. And so I said, okay, in the name of Jesus Christ, and the woman's still choking. She's still choking out. Her parents are there. This, her husband's there. It, my the team members are with me. They're all looking at me like, hey, man, what are you going to do here, LT? You need, to, you need to shut this down. So I'm like, all right, look, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the authority given to me through natural law, through the promulgation of the natural law by God the Father Almighty is having authority over this flesh, I command you to leave her immediately, quietly, permanently go to the foot of the cross. Imprecatory prayer, invoking the name of Jesus but also claiming one's natural law rights given to him by God the Father as authority over her flesh, it immediately closed down the, the manifestation. So I've seen this many times at work, um, and I think it's it's fantastic that this thing happened in front of you so so other people, you could lead these people and help this poor couple through their struggling. There's a lot of people out there that are really struggling with the diabolic. And again, learning how to learn the rules of engagement. This is what we're trying to do through Libra Cristo. We're trying to do with a new manual that's coming out. Teach people the rules of engagement. There's a lot of misunderstanding on those rules. Dan, there's a long article. It's called those useless nuns, a cloistered nun is useless. That yeah. is exactly the point. It's a long article. It's worth reading if uh, if anybody wants to know, uh, again, the depth of the theology of, uh, of cloistered nuns. But Dan, can you get into why it is, uh, in your own words, without going through this article, why is it that a cloistered nun's prayers are particularly powerful and efficacious uh, above and beyond most other people. Why is it that a cloistered nun 
I mean, uh, her prayers, you know, uh, to use the New Testament analogy, almost move mountains. Yeah, no, um, this is a huge topic. I had the very good fortune, and you've met these sisters. I go on Thursdays and teach Carmelite sisters, Carmelite nuns, uh, um, theology, scripture, uh, angelology, etc. And these these women get it. They totally get it. They live an angelic existence. The world is trying to say, oh, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. Why don't you go out and work in a school? Why don't you go help blind kids? Why don't you go help orphans, right? They live an angelic existence. They have one foot in time and one foot in eternity. They are conformed to Christ through virginal purity. This is the virginal purity is the coin that and blood are the coin of the realm in in the cosmos, in the spiritual cosmos. The offering of sacrificial blood of Christ, our union with that, and virginal purity. And so they live in their bodies. Now, this is a this is a fancy term, okay? An eschatological reality, meaning they live a future reality. They're living an eternal and angelic existence as conformed in a nuptial relationship and a bridal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in that, they embody the church herself. They are living icons of the bridal nuptial church. So, so the way the way they give of themselves spiritually, bodily, in contemplation, this is the highest choir of angels, the seraphic uh, uh, choirs that sit in full contemplation before God, the throne day and night. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. This is this is the existence that the Carmelites, the poor Clares, the Benedictine sisters, offering their bodies as living icons of the church bridal relationship to Christ. And what does this mean for our priest? What does this mean for us as laity? The priest enters persona Christi, right? He he offers his own uh, 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 virginal offering, uh, uh, um, his own bodily offering as, as, as a Christ figure to the church. And so the religious nun, that when we distinguish in English, in Spanish, you see it, uh, religiosa and monja. And in English, it's a, it's everybody's a nun. That's not true. A sister, a religious sister is active. A nun is a contemplative. One lives in a cloister. One works in the world. The two images in the tradition of the church is Martha and Mary. Martha representing the active life. Mary, the contemplative life, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Who chose the better part, mind you? And so there's there's power in that orientation to God, believe me, I, I, whenever I talk to our, our cases and they're really discouraged, especially in cases of, of obsession and possession, you know, and, and I'll and I'll tell them and the demons always right there when we're, when we're doing our intakes or catechesis. And, I'll, and I will always tell them, look, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to fight the good fight. This is part of your purification and sanctification. We're praying for you. Father is praying for you. And I've got Carmelite nuns praying for you and the poor Claire's praying for you the demon i see the stink eye i get the stink eye the demon always reacts when i tell them the carmelites are praying for you the poor clares <laughs> they look at me with they, i get the stink eye. i get the i can't believe you just called that one in right because they know they recognize it's one thing for you to pray your abuelita to pray that's great but when you're praying from this position of purity of virginal bodily purity in union with christ our virginal lord in union as our mother with her, with our virginal Lord, when you when when that relationship, when it's lived authentically, this is a powerhouse of graces pouring into the church. This is the image of the remember the, the battle of Amalek, where Moses 
raised his hands, right? You and I are the guys in the field. You and I are Joshua and the soldiers that are just trying to fight the bad guys, right? The, the priest has got his hands held up, right? Representing the hierarchy of the church, Moses' authority. The Carmelite sisters are like Aaron and her that hold his arms up. As long as his arms are up, you and I are victorious in the battlefield. But when his arms drop, right, when the church sags, when monastic life is corrupted and they're doing yoga instead of Lectio Divina at Benedictine monasteries, right, when, when, when they're kicking off the habit and, and trying to become sister social justice and social workers, when they become worldly, when that enters in, the arms of the church sag. And you and I in the battlefield, our families, we suffer. This holds up the arms of the church. This holds up the arms of blessing, the arms of power for our victory in battle. That's maybe the, the easiest way to, for me to try to explain that. But it's through the nuptial orientation, this angelic, virginal, nuptial relationship with Christ, the divine bridegroom. I'll give you an example from the story of the life of St. Teresa de los Andes. She was being courted by a young man, and he was a handsome guy, you know, whatever. And so Jesus appears to her. Behind, next, right behind this guy, and she didn't say what he looked like, but he must have been—he must have been like this, yo, back <laughs> Jesse back in the day. You know, what I mean? <laughs> he must have been like this, shirtless. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he looked at her, and he says in Spanish, "Comparar, compare." Mm. You want to marry this guy? He's a nice guy. I created him. He's a pretty good-looking guy. He's pretty good with a hammer, right? He can mm. drive a truck, whatever. How about this? How about you become my spouse? You become my bride. That's the power. That's the power. They are, they are some in some religious orders, they wear a wedding dress on the day of their final vows because they understand this orientation as brides as nuptial relationship with Christ. Dan, here's some things in the article that just completely uh, are congruent with what you just said. The article says uh, the life of grace is perhaps even more efficacious than a life of service. That's you're talking about, you know, uh, social justice warriors. A lot of the nuns become that. Here's another one. It is a humbling vocation then for its very structure, its very way of life, is a constant reminder to the nun that her worth lies not in anything she can do, but that in spite of her nothingness and unworthiness, God loves her and desires to elevate her to be his bride, to live that spousal reality here and now on earth. Here's another section that's congruent with what you just said. The merits of a nun's prayers for the church are not her central purpose, but an overflow of her primary vocation as bride. Her prayers are indeed efficacious and useful for the church. In fact, her solitary life of prayer is far more powerful than any act of service she could do out in the world. Thus, the paradox of the nun, her prayers are so powerful and useful for the salvation of the world precisely because of her fundamental usefulness before God. Uh, quoting St. Paul, I will all the more gladly boast of my weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the secret of monastic life. This is everything you're saying, Dan. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, this is a really well-written article. Um, uh, a, a story, a thought comes to mind. I was driving um, a couple months ago. I did a, I did a three-day retreat for religious, uh, an order of active sisters who work with disabled children who teach in schools. Great fantastic religious order. If you are a, a young woman considering this, look at the Sisters of Our, Ladies of Our Lady of Sorrows in Louisiana. They're a fantastic, vibrant bunch of, of very of just fired up women that are in love with, with Jesus. 
And so I was on my way there. My sister called me and she said, hey, I just talked to Mrs. So-and-so, who was one of the moms, you know, when we were growing up. And she said she ran into Sister Social Justice. You know, mm. I'm not using her real name. And she said <laughs> she asked her what his sister. And I'm not going to give you her religious order because I don't want to embarrass the Franciscans. So so she says, sister, why did you uh, why don't you wear the habit? And she says, oh, we got rid of that, you know, in the 70s. Well, why don't you at least wear the veil? I'm on my way to go teach veiled active sisters, right? And she says, here's what this religious sister said. That rag, I'll never wow. put that rag on my head ever. Wow. So I told my little sister, I was like, you just gave me gold. You should have seen the faces when I went in to, to, to this convent and I opened with that. Why do you guys wear that rag? Because it shows that you're a bride of Christ. Imagine, Jesse, hey, you come, you're, you're come here to give talks. Jesse, why don't you wear, or you know, Anita's out with her friends having lunch. Why don't you wear that, that your wedding ring? I'm not going to wear a wedding ring. I'm not going to wear that. I'm not going to show any sort of allegiance to that guy, Jesse. Unbelievable. I'm a liberated woman, you yeah. see. I'm not going to wear my ring when I travel, right? I don't want to. Dad, I mean, Dad, we're coming to a hard break. This is what the world is telling us, and it's telling religious life. Get rid of the rag. Let's continue this on the next topic. Got uh, it. Let's continue this. on. The, you're, you're listening to Wednesday War College. Uh, I'm here from an undisclosed location in Hobbs, New Mexico. I'm here with Dr. Dan Schneider. We're talking about all things spiritual warfare. Uh, we're going to... You see in the army, laddie daddy, everybody, fall in. <laughs> Time for a haircut and boot inspection. Wednesday War College. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm here with Dr. Dan Schneider. Uh, and we're talking about all things spiritual warfare. Dan, I want to make just a one last thing I want to mention from the article, then I want you to tie it in. The article says here, well-written article, it says, The cloistered nun reminds us that, despite appearances, the purpose of our lives is not to be useful, not for the liberal project, nor even for the church. Rather, the meaning of every vocation is simply to be for God alone. A being for that, as the monastery reveals, is never really useless in the end. And so it is not surprising that the most fundamental and lasting contributions— to the common good of the part of the church have always begin have always begun from this humble place by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is in this way by living the truth that the cloistered nun reveals that we ourselves will become an overflowing and efficacious sign that alone has the kind of power to transform our post Christian liberal order. Yeah. Yeah. Honest yeah. Um, again, she, the author talks a lot about utilitarianism. We've fallen into these two things. Pleasure and usefulness is what how she describes it. St. Augustine talked about this a long time ago, 1500 years ago. Fruity and, and uti, to, to enjoy and to utilize. And we're constantly mixing those things up. The word Carmel, Garden of God. When I read the Song of Songs to the Carmelite sisters, parts of it, I browse among the lilies. My my beloved peeks through the opening in the the lattice, and my heart uh, 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 um, goes goes light within me. 
all these things is the, this is the bridal encounter of the of the nun. Uh, um, but don't forget what St. Teresa says to, to her sisters. I want you to be barbada, she says, bearded. Uh, uh, this is what she tells in one of her letters to her sisters. I want you to be like a, like the soldiers coming off of campaign. She would they would you know, as a child in Spain. She saw these men coming back with these long beards, kind of like our the Green Berets come back, uh, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq, long beards, rugged from being in the field, weightlifting in the downtime, just getting yoked and bearded. She says, when you pursue virtue, I want you to be Barbada. I want you to don't be effeminate. Don't be a little sissy girl. I want you to be so man, manful, very virelones, virenoles. Wow. The Spanish word she uses to be man, so manful that you frighten, you startle men, that they're afraid of you. You're so manful and courageous when you pursue virtue and holiness. This is not the language of people that aren't that are wasting their time doing nothing. This is language of warriors. Once one weekend, one week I was in there and I was showing them a picture. I said, I want you to know what how I see you. I see you how you really are, because I've got night vision goggles on and I know what you guys are in the mystical body. And I put a picture up on my presentation of four uh, snipers in ghillie suits blending in. You had to really look closely to tell the bushes from the snipers. And they, as they start to begin to see the snipers in the ghillie suits, I said, this is what you guys are in the mystical body. Without your coverage, many, many, many soldiers die on the battlefield. So your pursuit of virtue and pursuit of Christ and a bridal relationship, your prayer for us is absolutely, completely uh, invaluable. In the article, she mentions the French Revolution. They was this, what, what, Dan, was this St. Teresa of the Lisseur or the little or, or of Avila? Teresa of Avila. Teresa okay. of Avila. Okay. In, in, the, this, this, in, in the French Revolution, she alludes to it in the article. In the French Revolution, they let the religious sisters go if they, they kept did social work, right, for free. But the, the Carmelites and, the, and, and, and all the cloisters, they closed them down and took their property. And the religious sisters, they, the, Carmelite, uh, the, the Carmelite sisters of Campania refused to take off their habit. They refused to, de, to take off the rag. Right of this mm. cloy, of their of their garb of the religious garb, and they were led to the guillotine, and and the one by one they walked up the ladder. The mother superior stood there with a with a a a, 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 a statue of the Blessed Mother, and they said to her, every single one in unison, request obedience, request permission to die, mother. And the mother superior said, permission granted. They would kiss the statue of the Blessed Mother. All, I think there was eleven or twelve of them. All of them beheaded. By the guillotine, within 30 days, the French Revolution was over after the after these these women martyred themselves. This is the power of religious life, of cloister religious life, the Carmelites, the poor Clares, the Benedictine, when lived out correctly. That's right. Dan also St. Teresa of Avila, she was known to go to cemeteries and 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 pray spiritual warfare prayers. I'm reading from a, a, a letter she wrote. She says, St. Teresa of Avila. Why shouldn't I have the fortitude to engage in combat with all of hell? I took a cross in my hand, and it seemed to me truly that God gave me courage because in a short while, I saw that I was another person and that I wouldn't fear bodily combat with the demons. For I thought that with, the, with that cross, I would easily conquer all of them. So I said, come now, all of you, for being a servant of the Lord. I want to see what you can do to me. There was no doubt in my opinion that they were all afraid of me. For I remained so calm and so unafraid of them all. All the fears I usually felt left me even to this day. 
For although I, saw, I sometimes saw them, I no longer had hardly any fear of them. Rather, it seemed they were afraid of me, St. Teresa of Avila. And, and why, why was St. Teresa of Avila not afraid? Well, I'm going to quote another doctor of the church, St. Teresa of Lisieux. St. Teresa of Lisieux says in her book, A Story of a Soul, she says, A soul in the state of grace has nothing to fear from demons who are cowards capable of running away from the look of a child. That's exactly then what you had with these Carmelite nuns and all these cloistered orders. Yeah. No, it, it shows you the dignity of, of, of the baptized soul. And the demon constantly militates against that indelible mark of baptism. And anything that we do that is inconsistent with that mark creates a vulnerability and, a, and attractiveness to the demon. But when you're when you're living a purity, a holiness like Teresa, and I haven't met one person yet in a church that would, uh, in my in my years and years of, of, of in Catholic circles, that can that have the boldness of Teresa of Avila because they don't have that sanctity. I've never met a saint and doctor of the church yet, mm -hmm. right? But but look what the demon says. Look at the, the fear of the demon against uh, the, the consecrated religious. And when they when they in that orientation pray for us, it's very powerful. You know, Teresa, I mean, Teresa, the little flower, Therese, doctor of the church because of her profound uh, spirit doctrine of spiritual childhood, littleness. But she's also co-patroness of foreign missions. Imagine that. How can this be? Co-patroness with Francis Xavier, another doctor of the church, who baptized, they say, millions. Like his, his arm would be sore at the end of the day. He baptized so many souls. Wow. She never left the cloister, and she's co-patroness of foreign missions. The yeah. power of intercession of Amen. the cloistered nun is, is seen right there. That's right. We want to move on to uh, another topic. Uh, Russell Crowe, an A-list actor, is portraying Father Amorth in an upcoming film. The film is called The Pope's Exorcist, put out by Sony Pictures. The fact that Russell Crowe did this movie, I think uh, it's going to get watched by uh, millions and millions of people. The movie is not actually the story of Father Gabriel Morth, but it's inspired, it says. In the, in the Pope's Exorcist uh, uh, trailer, it says it's inspired by the true story of Father Gabriel Morth. So obviously there's going to be artistic license taken by Hollywood. He was the chief exorcist of Rome. Uh, the Pope's Exorcist is going to open April 14th. Mr. Engineer, can you play the two-minute clip? Okay. Uh, Dan, uh, it seems that it seems to me like there's a market for this. De uh, Richard, we'll play this in the beginning of the fourth segment. So right at the beginning of the fourth segment. Yeah. Dan, it seems like there's a market for this. And it's good that they have an A-list actor like Russell Crowe because he's going to drive a lot of people to the, to the theater. And I'll tell you why. Because it's going to bring up a, the discussion about spiritual warfare, the do's and don'ts, the right way, the wrong way. And so this is going to get give Catholics, especially people like yourself, Kyle, Father Ripperger's team, myself, and other people, it's going to give us the ability to, to give proper catechesis on spiritual warfare. So it's good that Sony, which is a huge production company, and, and uh, Russell, Rowe, Russell Crowe, which is a huge angels actor, I'm glad that they're putting out a movie about an exorcist of this magnitude, Father Gabriel Amorth, because it, it could start a good conversation in the country, and even within the Catholic Church, about uh, the proper norms of spiritual warfare. Do you agree with me? Is it a good thing that this movie's coming out? I, I do, as long as it's not approached with just curiosity, because a lot of people are very interested, you know, ghost hunters and these other things. As long as they stay faithful to his life, 
and 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 uh, and don't don't try to make it ridiculously artistic um, in their own fanciful fanciful imagination, but stick to the script, skip to his life. You don't. There's nothing. There's not. There's not really nothing to do anything. Uh, just tell his story. Um, I, I think I've shared with you that Tan Books is coming out with a, a, a documentary. I mean, a, a, a biography of the life of Father Remorse, and and I've done it translated into from Italian, and I did the the developmental editing for it, and and Father Ripperger has written the introduction for it. And his very first case, I didn't know this. His very first case, they show this in the trailer. His very first case, um, he begins his prayer, and the and the only time this ever happened to him, the boy levitates. And uh, just lifts off the ground, lays his stole over him. And the minute he places his priestly stole, boom, drops down. And the boy uh, and said amen to the prayer of the ritual. And and it, it ended. And the boy was liberated very quickly. Within two weeks, he was liberated. They're not going to show that in the movie. They might try to show levitation. But um, but they're, they're not going to give you the stuff that has, has profound devotion to the Blessed Mother. His, you know, his, his that he also he was a soldier. Uh, decorated soldier fought in the Catholic resistance against communist and then hold your thought hold your thought we're coming to a hard break okay. you're talking you're listening to Wednesday War College we're going to talk more about we're going to show the clip uh the Russell Crowe cl clip the post exorcist in the next uh, segment and Dan has a lot to say about uh Father Gabriel Morth since he edited a book that's coming out by 10 on the life of Father Gabriel Morth uh stick around we'll be right back Wednesday War College Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. This is where Jesus Christ is Lord and Mary's our Queen Mother. I want you to listen to a quick clip of Russell Crowe, who is portraying Father Amorth in an upcoming film called The Pope's Exorcist by Sony Pictures. And then Dan and myself, we have some comments to make. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? Whatever you do, you only do because God allows it. Did he allow that? Father Gabriele Amorth. On the night of June 4th, you performed an exorcism. That was not an exorcism. The majority of cases do not require an exorcism. 98% I recommend it by him to doctors and psychiatrists. The other 2%, I call it evil. We have more questions for you, Father Amort. You have a problem with me. You talk to my boss, the Pope. There is a case that needs your attention. No. 
Bring me the priest. I'm here to help, Julia. Wrong priest! Take caution. There are secrets buried there. He's about to conceal. The church has fought against this demon before. The Vatican covered it up. We need to find out why. You've been played. You talk to fate. Whatever you do, you only do because God allows it. Did he allow that? Imagine what could happen. If the devil possessed the soul of the Pope's exorcist, who will defend you? You just watched the trailer of the Pope's exorcist with a. Does not require defense. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. You just watched the a, a small trailer of the Post Exorcist. The movie's coming out April 14th. One of the things that I like is that Russell Crowe is, is part of the movie. Obviously, he read the script and he thought it was worth it. And I, I say this because, number one, he's an amazing actor. He's an A-list actor. And I think it's going to draw a lot of people to the movies. And they're going to say, who is Father Gabriel Morth? What's this thing called exorcism and demons? In my opinion, Dan, I want to get your take. I think this dramatic story that obviously is embellished, there's going to be a lot of Hollywood artistic license, but I believe that it's going to start a national conversation about spiritual warfare, about the reality of angels and demons. And especially within the Catholic Church, it's going to start a conversation within, within the proper Catholic norms to keep ourselves protected from the diabolical and so I think it's just a win-win situation for all of us. What say you, Dan? Yeah, I think I think it, it really is tapping into what the census fidelium, has, you know, the sense of the faithful has been has been picking up for quite some time now, and that that we're in a spiritual combat. Um, and if, if you know, it looks pretty fanciful to me. Uh, secret archives, uh, you know, secret rooms in the Vatican, all that stuff sounds uh, pretty ridiculous. But if it helps push the conversation forward, get Father Remorse. Uh, um, life out there is interesting life um and and uh it's it's but it, i can tell you it's much more blue collar than what they're showing here it's much more mundane it's much more ground and pound just show up to work um and 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 pray over people um than than what the movies are really showing but they gotta i guess they gotta sensationalize it but people Dad, the, let me ask you a question yeah let me ask you a question we got we got about seven seven minutes there's about four models being used in the u.s right now in terms of healing and deliverance in the Catholic Church, uh, the charismatic model, the Roman model, the Philippine model, and the liberal crystal model. Can you give me a quick definition of each of the four models and why the liberal crystal model that that uh, that we promote, why this is the way to go? Yeah, it goes back to the very first segment on the, on the, the teaching of authority. And so the liberal crystal model is a monastic model. It's based on monastic discipline. It's based based upon the hierarchy of the church and the authority structure uh, of the local church. Any Libra Cristo team works 
with under the 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 authority of a local exorcist and a local bishop and so we work within that and then beneath that umbrella we work within the authority structure of whatever sacrament um their sacramental vocational sacrament that they're under so if it's a we've had possessed priests possessed religious sisters possessed nuns and a whole lot of possessed lay people. And so getting that that relationship in order as well. So working under that uh, and under recognizing the authority structure and the role of the lady, there's going to be other models out there that are going to say uh, lady can't pray. And the other extreme would one extreme would be the lady can't pray any prayers of liberation. They should just pray the rosary to go to confession and, and don't do any binding prayers whatsoever. The other extreme is the more charismatic model is. Anybody can lay hands on anybody, and it's just kind of a you know kind of a cowboy uh, mentality. Wild, and wild west. Wild, wild west. And that, again, what we're seeing is, and then you know, and some are saying, okay, priests can pray it, and lay people cannot pray it unless the mystic sensitive that works with the exorcist gives specific prayers to pray. And if you don't think this happens, look up the devil on Brownsville Road and see what that looks like in real time. It's a disaster. Um, you know, there are authentic charismatic gifts, but they're rare, very rare and few and far between. I've seen them, but they're not that common. So they're oftentimes distorted. And so, you know, just like when I went to Iraq. Jesse Romero. OK. All right. Yeah, you're back on. Go ahead. Continue, Dan. Yeah. Just like when I was in Iraq, we had tank battles, artillery, uh, um, B-52 strikes. But after the enemy was annihilated by by the U.S. military. Um, they shifted. They took off the uniforms and the whole battlefield went urban and went asymmetrical and it caused it went more primitive. And so we had to go back to more primitive style of fighting uh, against terrorists, terror cells and not fighting tanks. And so the same thing since it's, when, when Father Amorth was 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 first started uh, and first asked to do this out of the blue, by the way, he had no interest in this whatsoever. He was just he was speaking to his his um, the vicar general of the Diocese of Rome and says, have you ever heard of Father uh, Candido Amantini? Yeah, yeah, I respect his work. Great. S- writes a letter. I now appoint you his assistant just like that. And he, he wasn't even the diocesan. He was he was a, a, um, a Paulist father. You know, the public they public they're publicists. And so at that time, they're ridiculing anyone that believed in the devil in the church. His fellow priests would ridicule him. That's all anti, that's but pre-Vatican II stuff. We don't do all that Marian piety. So we owe it to Father, Father Gamorth, Amorth for bringing it back. But since this time in the last 20, 25 years, you know, the battlefield has shifted. And, and so Father Amorth brings it back into the forefront. So people are seeing that this is real. It needs to happen. And now as the battle shifts, Father Ripperger is going to the next level with what's the right, proper way, according to tradition, and the safest way to handle this. The safest, what's the safest way? Because when I was in the military as an officer, we were told you had two missions. You accomplish your mission and you get your troops home safely, right? You do, you have to do those two things. You get your troops home safely. And you get your and you accomplish the mission that the military has assigned to you. Same thing here. When you're working in this ministry, it's not not just going to accomplish your mission. What is the safest way to keep it to keep your team safe? And so, Libra Cristo model working on the authority structure. It's very disciplined. It's very militaristic, and it keeps the lay team members safe. And and again, the barometer of the authority structure is going to be retaliation. So what, what, what one of the advantages of working, and we're going to teach this next week, we're going to be in uh, teaching priests and teams, uh, diocesan teams, 
and on how to do this safely. This is safe snake handling is what we're teaching. And how do you do that? How do you keep your team members from getting bit? And that's not being careless and following the authority structure and working completely 100% under the local diocese. This is the difference in our model. This is how the battlefield has morphed and the church has adjusted uh, with Libra Cristo and, and, and Father Ripperger. Dan, I want to just mention one thing about uh, the movie, The Pope's Exorcist. I think uh, I like to see Russell Crowe in, the, in this role now. It, it definitely suits him. He's a lot older. But I mean, think about it. He went from the actor, the great actor to, in The Gladiator, The Spaniard, to Father of Morth. You know, from The Spaniard to Father of Morth. I think that's pretty cool. And the fact is, I'm glad that Hollywood got an A-list actor to play Father of Morth because uh, it's just like the movie The Right. Uh, whatever you think about The Right, Anthony Hopkins, he delivered a, a pretty stellar performance in that movie as well. And so uh, it, it's good to get these A-list actors to promote uh, at least in some way, shape, or form, the truth about the Catholic faith. And also something else that I like about this, I think is beneficial about this movie, is you have a lot of Catholics that love all these Marvel superheroes because we've grown up in that generation of, of audiences that love these Marvel superheroes wearing tights. Well, guess what? This is a real hero, Father Morth, you know, exorcist, uh, you know, such as any exorcist right now that's mandated in the world. These guys are the real heroes that nobody knows about. So I'm glad this movie's coming out, Dan. What do you say? We got about a minute. Yeah, no, I think I think it's great. I, I don't. I I think we should do a thorough uh, analysis of it over one or two episodes after it comes out. Let's kind of break it down as well, and and make sure again, curiosity is an open door. So don't just see this out of curiosity. If you're going to do this, if you're going to watch it, watch it to understand the reality of evil. Uh, and let's, let's let's critique it and analyze it down the road. Because the last thing I want to do is watch a movie about demons and exorcists and other things. To be honest with you, so if you do it, it's going to be it's going to be so you can help learn the tools, learn yes. the rules of engagement, and how to defend your family. Because ultimately, our, we're all called to 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 to, to do battle for our, our our families. And if you watch this movie, make sure you're in a state of grace. And you know what I did when I watched some of these possession movies on the screen. I'm in a state of grace. And during the movie, I'm praying under my breath. I'm doing Hail Marys in Latin and under my breath. I'm praying during these movies because I know there's demons that are around that screen where this is being projected. And I go out of studiosity. I want to be a better Catholic, a holier Catholic. So I need to know the enemy. So I'm praying under my breath or in my mind. And I'm in a state of grace when I'm watching something like this. Yeah. And I watch it out of studiosity, not, not curiosity. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You need to know the reality um, that this is real stuff. You know, a lot of guys say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to engage in spiritual combat, but we're there. Dan, that's a wrap. We're that's there. a wrap. All right. Yeah. That's All it. All right, brother. We'll Great see you next see time. You. See you next week. EOW, end of watch. This is Jess Romero, Dan Schneider. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith. Up next, Gary Machuda.